Well, let me take a moment to say uh, welcome to those of you who are joining us online. It's good to have you be a part of Freedom Online. Yes, you may. Uh, today we're beginning a new series that's entitled Pursuing Peace. Uh, it, it is a fitting series for uh, what we're doing today. Uh, Jackie was asking me out of curiosity yesterday, she said, how is the message this week going to tie in to Mother's Day? And I said, well, it's a very natural tie-in because as we're talking over the next three weeks about pursuing peace, the message today, and and I'm not saying this to try and put a shine on what a great job I'm fixing to do. It's just the honest truth. If you come all year long, there's not any message that you'll hear that will be more practical than what I'm going to share with you in the next few minutes. Everybody needs what we're going to talk about today because today we're going to be talking about how to deal with, well, first of all, we're going to talk about how to deal with your own negative emotions, but then we're going to spend most of our time talking about then out of that, how to work through conflict with other people, how to work through conflict within the family, with your spouse, with your kids, with siblings and others. And we all know that the reality is mom is the chief peacemaker in most families. Mom is the one who has to be the glue to keep it all together when people are at odds. Mom is the first one who realizes when things aren't right. Isn't that the truth? It's, it's the woman who, who realizes way ahead of us men when things aren't right and goes to work trying to put things right. But the truth of the matter is we're all called by the Lord Jesus to be peacemakers and to know how to work through conflict to a healthy resolution. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And we're going to begin... In Ephesians chapter 4, I've actually got the passage in your outline, so if you just want to pull your outlines out and follow along with me. The Word is just full of practical instruction on how to get things right when we get at odds with one another. And one of the great passages that instructs us is in Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 25, where it says, You must always speak the truth to each other, because we all belong to each other in the same body. When you're angry, don't let that anger make you sin, and don't stay angry all day. Don't give the devil a way to defeat you, which, by the way, if you stay angry, it opens a door for the enemy to to get a stronghold in your life. When you talk, don't say anything bad, but say the good things that people need, whatever will help them grow stronger. Then what you say will be a blessing to those who hear you. And don't make the Holy Spirit sad. God gave him to you as proof that you belong to him and that he will keep you safe until the day he makes you free. Never be bitter, angry, or mad. Never shout angrily or say things that hurt others. Never do anything evil. Be kind and loving to each other. Forgive each other the same as God forgave you through Christ. Now, that is a mouthful, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I read that passage and just kind of want to say, Oh, me, when I get to the end, thinking, what an incredible... A challenge to try and live all that out. Now, I'll tell you, I don't have time to cover everything that Paul has said in this passage, but we are going to try and tackle two primary thoughts today. As I said, first of all, what we want to talk about is in, in more general terms, how we deal with the negative emotions that we're carrying around that are dragging us down. And then out of that, secondly, how do we work through the negative emotions that are just poisoning our relationship with the people around us? How do we deal with those conflicts? 
Now, everybody here, regardless of how wonderful of a mate you may have picked or how wonderfully single you may be so that you're not having to deal with waking up next to somebody every day, regardless of what your circumstance of life is, I know the truth of the matter. Every single person in this room has to deal with two challenging things. You have to deal with people who rub you the wrong way, and you have to deal with some negative feelings that you're carrying in life that pull you down. We all do. It's just a part of life. Some of us feel like if it weren't for all these other people, I wouldn't have these negative emotions. I'd be happy all the time. People are bringing me down. Well, until you move away to that island where you live all alone, you're going to have to deal with that. And by the way, if you ever make it to the island, you'll find out it wasn't just the people. That you've got your own junk. That you still struggle with your own feelings. So I want to just share with you some thoughts on on both parts of this. So first of all, I just want to say a word about... How do you deal with your own negative feelings? And when I say negative feelings, let's be specific in what we're talking about. I mean just the times when you feel frustrated, disappointed, hurt, angry, lonely, sad, all of those. They're God-given emotions. It is a healthy thing that we experience those things. It's how... God has given us a capacity for dealing with bad things that happen around us. And so we have this ability to feel you know, sad, mad, disappointed, to feel these different things. The problem is when you experience those kinds of emotions and they just stay with you. You don't get past them to a better place. And so you just carry around all of this sadness over the bad things that have happened and you're never able to get rid of it. You carry around hurt and anger over wrong things that people have done to you and you don't know what to do with it. And so you just have this lingering in your life. And we could go on and on with these negative emotions that stay with us. It's the definition, it's the picture of a miserable human being, isn't it? We've all been at a place where that's been the case, where we, we, get, we just say, well, I'm just down, I'm just hurt, I'm just angry, I'm just lonely, and I just can't seem to shake it off. We'll usually kind of put that under, if we carry it long enough, we'll just put it under the heading of, I guess I'm just depressed, and sometimes we are, but ultimately... What's happening for many of us is we've got these negative God-given emotions that we're supposed to have experienced and felt and then have had a way of dealing with that. So then we can move on and be at a good place in life. But some of us haven't learned how to deal with that. We haven't learned how to get rid of them. So I want to talk for a few minutes about that and then specifically one set of things that we need to deal with. So first of all, I just want to give you a simple analogy that we all can follow. When you think about the negative emotions that you have in life, I want you to consider how they are like the trash in your life. Everybody in here produces trash. If I went to your house today, home from church, we could all find the evidence that you're generating trash at home, right? You know it's a fact because you've got little containers scattered around your house for that very purpose, to collect the trash. You have one really important one in your house. It is somewhere in or near your kitchen, and it's the one that has a lid on it. Why? Because some of your trash really stinks. Some trash is worse than others. And so your biggest trash can inside, the one with the lid, is in or around your kitchen. And there's nothing wrong with you by virtue of the fact that you generate trash. It just proves that somebody lives at your house. It's a reflection of how living things function. You realize one of the fundamental definitions of how you know that something is alive is that it produces waste? I mean, all the way down to a single-cell organism. If it stops producing waste, it is no longer alive. Living things is just a part of it. You've got to get rid of the junk. And so it's okay. If we're healthy people, we produce trash and we carry out the trash, right? What happens when somebody stops carrying out the trash? Well, first of all, it gets really nasty and just kind of unpleasant to be around. 
one of my children, who shall remain unnamed, is bad about this. She, she, she's one that likes to let the trash get really piled up before taking it out. Sometimes it doesn't fit in the container anymore. It's more of a pile. Some of you can relate to that. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you are masters of getting like three times as much trash in there. You know, just, I don't have to take it out. Just cram it down. We can get more trash in here. And then when it's time to take out the trash, it's virtually impossible to pull the bag out, right? Because we're, we're stuffers. This is a good picture of what people will do with their emotions. You see, healthy people will take out the trash just at different points throughout the week. Now, bear in mind there's two extremes that you can go to with your trash. There's the person who can avoid taking out the trash, and that person always gets in trouble. Because, number one, it'll start stinking, and you just don't want to be around there. Because there's just too much trash, and it's unpleasant to be there. And if you let it go long enough bacteria and mold and yuck will grow and it actually becomes a health hazard and that is a picture of the person who is the emotional stuffer you hurt my feelings you disappoint me you make me mad and i'll feel it and i'll remember it i'll just never take out the trash and deal with it I'll act like it's all okay. I just kept stuffing it down in my emotional can and carrying it around. But you know what? You start to stink as a friend, as a spouse, by being a stuffer. Oh, you thought you just stuffed it down and pushed it out of sight where nobody would know about it. But after a while, you just begin to stink as a husband or a wife. You're unpleasant to be around because you're carrying all this negative stuff around. Now, the other extreme, I've never known anybody like this, but would be the equivalent of a person who just is such a germaphobe, such a trash phobe, that every time there's a single piece of trash, it's, we've got to take the trash out. Somebody just dried their hands on a paper towel, we've got to take the trash out. Who would want to live like that? You'd spend all your time taking the trash out. Well, you see, the emotional equivalent of that is the person who feels like, well, if I'm feeling something negative, if you bothered me, if you disappointed me, if you aggravated me, I just got to be real. I got to tell you, I got to set it straight right now. Nobody wants to be around that person. You'd spend all your time correcting everybody and telling them how much they came up short of what you needed them to be and do. Nobody needs that for a friend, a spouse, or a parent, do they? So there's a healthy balance somewhere in between where you recognize what's trash, you file it away, and on a regular basis, you dispose of it. So how do you do that? Emotionally, it's very normal, it's very healthy that just as you're going to be glad, happy, joyful, there are going to be times when you're going to be sad, disappointed, hurt, frustrated, just downright mad. How do you dispose of, carry out the trash of, of those feelings? Five simple ways. I didn't put this in your outline. If you want to write it down, fine, but you'll probably be able to remember these. They're so simple. Five ways that we take out the trash emotionally. And this is really, really simple. Number one, sleep. This is a God-given thing. It's amazing how it works. It takes almost no effort but everybody's experienced this. When you're way behind on sleep, your negative emotions just suddenly skyrocket. I was just feeling a little sad. I was just feeling a little bit agitated. But now that I'm laying here and it's midnight and I only slept four hours last night and the more I think about it, I'm just ticked. 
I'm ready to rip somebody's head off the more that I've thought about how hurt and disappointed I am. Isn't it crazy how the more tired you get, the more the negative emotions swell and how much getting good rest has the opposite effect? The proof of that is, for those of you who are married, how many times have you gone to bed and the longer you laid there and thought about it, the more you just got madder and madder and you just need to straighten this out tonight and when you've tried to straighten it out, it didn't get any better, it just got worse. And then you finally went to sleep and eight hours later you woke up and a miracle happened. That big hairy monster that was just taking over your brain that had you so angry and agitated somehow had left. And you're going, why was I so mad last night? Why was that such a big hairy deal? What has happened is God has given rest as one of the ways that the trash gets taken out in your life. It doesn't fix everything. It doesn't solve every problem. But it is a healthy reminder And it is, by the way, a very biblical teaching that rest is a key part of what has to be a regular part of your schedule, your daily and weekly schedule, that you stay caught up on rest. When I'm just so wrought up, a lot of times I need to ask myself the question, am I well rested? And if I'm not, before I do any of the other four things I'm fixing to name, do I need to just make sure that I get a good night's sleep and have some downtime to just let... God take the trash out in my life because a lot of this stuff will be de-escalated in a big way. First of all, just rest. The second thing that I can do to take out the trash is, and the final four are all going to start with the word talk. Number two is talk to yourself. Part of what you do to take out the trash emotionally is you've just got to ask yourself some fundamental questions and coach yourself up. And here are the couple of basic questions. First of all, what am I feeling? I, I just know I'm not at a good place. I just, you ever just get to places where you just know, I just, I'm just, but I don't know for sure what it is. I just know I'm not happy and I just don't want to, I don't want you to be around me. Don't talk to me. I just, I don't feel, I just don't feel good inside. And you've never even stopped to just go, all right, what is it I am feeling? Make yourself name it. Am I, am I mad? Am I afraid? Am I lonely? Am I, am I hurt? Is it disappointment that I'm feeling? Is it loss? What do I feel? And then there's a second key question. You may need to write this one down. Now that I know what I feel, what are the facts of my situation? Just write down these three words. Facts over feelings. It costs you $100 an hour to learn this principle. If you go to a professional counselor, it's one of the basic things that they will teach you. When you're in a bad place, stop and ask yourself the question, what are the facts? I know what I feel, but what are the facts? What, what do I feel? Well, I feel like my, my wife doesn't care. I feel like my husband's never there for me. I feel like they, they just couldn't care less about helping with the kids or about what I'm going through. I feel like they're, they're letting me down. I feel like they don't love me. Okay, that's how you feel. And feelings are legitimate. If it's what you're feeling, it's what you're feeling. But now what are the facts? You see, we said a couple of weeks ago, your soul is made up of a mind, will, and emotions. We know what the emotions are saying. But as an act of my will, I'm now going to engage my mind and say, but what are the facts? And I'll tell you, a lot of people in that moment are going to want to say, I don't care what the facts are. What I care about is I am mad. And I want to be mad. Well, you need to just tell your emotions, simmer down long enough for us to think through the facts. And a lot of times what you'll discover is the facts are this person who's made me so mad 
95% of the time shows that they love me. Over the long haul, they've consistently been here for me. They have demonstrated with their actions over the long haul that they really do care about me, that they're committed to me. And yes, in this moment, I feel so unloved, so disappointed, so uncared for. But the fact of the matter is they're hanging in there and they are doing their part. They're not doing doing it exactly the way that I want them to. But I've got to remember the facts because the facts will inform our feelings. Are you with me? Some self-coaching has got to go on. And sometimes we've just got to tell ourselves, even though I'm feeling this so deeply, I've got to keep my eye on the ball and keep focus on the facts of the situation. Because our emotions, especially when we're tired or just overstressed, will take us to really bad places. So make sure I'm rested. Coach myself up. Ask myself, what are the facts? And then after I've talked to myself, the third one is talk to God. When we say talk to God, there's really two things that we need to do. Number one, tell him what you're feeling. When you read the Psalms, you'll find out David, who was so close to the Lord, he was great at this. Just saying, God, here's what's going on. He he would express his frustration, his anger, his disappointment. He'd get it out there, and then he'd talk to God about it. Tell God what you're feeling. But secondly, if if all of your frustration, and that's really what we're talking about today is interpersonal stuff. So all this frustration, hurt, anger, whatever it is toward another person, tell God what you're feeling there, but then go the next step. And whether you feel like it or not, you start praying for that person. And it is amazing how much this starts taking the trash out. I can't tell you how many times in life I have been so mad at somebody else. I didn't want to pray for them. If I prayed for them, I wanted to ask God to punish them, to show them how wrong they are. But when I make myself sit down and just talk to God and pray for them, it is amazing how in a span of minutes or just one hour, how much God can just empty out that waste can and suddenly put me back at a fresh place where those feelings are gone. By the time I get through talking to him about it, I'm wanting to go tell that person that I love them. How important they are to God and to me. It's just crazy how much God has a capacity for taking the trash out for us. So make sure we're rested, coach ourselves up, talk to God. The fourth one, and I've got to qualify this one. The fourth one is that you talk to another healthy person about what's bugging you. Okay, let me just tell you, the first place that you do this should not be at the bar. That is probably not the best place to talk to somebody else because that's a good place for people to go who want to just tell somebody else what a terrible husband, what a lousy wife, what a sorry boyfriend or girlfriend they've got and have somebody else listen and agree. That doesn't help anybody. That doesn't take the trash out. That piles it up. We're talking about you getting with another healthy follower of Christ, somebody who speaks truth and who walks with God and, and telling them what you're feeling. And an amazing thing happens. They don't have to be so brilliant that they know what to say back to make you all better. Simply, most of the time, simply expressing to them what you're feeling. Just the saying out loud to another human being who is sitting there and listening to it. It's crazy, but by the time you get done with it, if you'll stop and just consider, now what am I feeling? You'll discover most of the trash is gone. God has given you this capacity and he made you super relational beings. And as a part of that, he's designed us so that we heal one another. We become God's instruments for healing in one another's lives. That's why he said, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, which the law of Christ is to love one another. 
sometimes the best way we love each other is to just sit and listen to the deepest hurts, frustrations, and, and anger of, of the people that we care about. And don't be a fixer. Just listen and understand. Sometimes just going, you know, I get it. You know, I get how you're feeling. And sometimes about all you need to say back is, you know, I'd probably feel the same thing if I were in your shoes. But hang in there. You know, most of the time, the situations that we're mad about aren't because somebody's really been a beast. It's usually just because they've come up a little bit short or they've been a little too ugly or whatever. And a lot of times we just need to be reminded, hang in there. Don't give up. They do care for you. Sometimes we need to hear more truth than that and a different version of truth than that. But just the saying it out loud to another healthy person who can speak truth back to us takes out the trash. And then there's a fifth and final one. And it's not that you go one, two, three, four, five. We've got to do all five and we do these in this order. But I'm just laying out five different ways that you emotionally get the trash out. And the fifth one is this. You talk to the person who's hurt you, who's disappointed you, who's let you down, who's made you mad. You talk to them directly. And you work through the problem. You speak to the issue and you work through that. Now, I realize that last one is, for some of us, the trickiest one is the one that we're the most afraid of and it's the one we're fixing to press into for a few minutes. And so the scriptures speak a lot to this very practical stuff about how do you do this? Because most of us don't love conflict and when something is wrong, we'd rather just suck it up and try and get over it and stuff it away rather than deal with it. And sometimes that isn't going to do it. Sometimes you will not get to a healthier place unless you go back to the person who's disappointed you, hurt you, done whatever it is, and you talk to them directly about what's going on and how you're feeling. Now, before we press into that for a few minutes, I want you to just pause for a moment and consider who in your life do you either currently have an issue with because they've caused pain, frustration, disappointment, anger in your life? Who is it that either actively there's something going on that needs to be dealt with? Or who is it in your life that there have been repeated issues that you struggle the most to work through this? And let me just say this. Do not be alarmed if the first person that comes to mind is the person who is closest to you or one of the people closest to you. Because you understand it's normal that the greatest pain would be caused by the people that we love the most. That doesn't mean they're wicked people. When you open your heart up to truly love and trust somebody else, it means that you are in a position that not only can you be blessed by them, but you can be hurt the most deeply by them. That's why so many times, boyfriend and girlfriend, husband and wife, even though you get so much good from them and from the relationship, you also the deepest hurts that you feel will often come in that same relationship because you feel like, I love you so much, I've trusted you so much, how can you hurt me this way? They hurt you that way because it's what happens between two broken human beings. You've opened yourself up to them. You've, you've trusted them with everything. And because they're not Jesus, they come up short sometimes. And then we get so disappointed and we get so hurt. The question is, do you know how to talk through that and how to deal with that? So I want to just share. And, and this isn't just about husbands and wives and boyfriends and girlfriends. This applies to friendships and relationships with parents and siblings and coworkers and bosses who are jerks and employees who are lousy. This applies to all of the above. So just we're going to move quickly, but six Practical things that we do from the scriptures to work through conflict in pursuing peace. Number one, with gentleness, voice the truth of what you feel and what you need. In Ephesians 4.25, Paul said, you must always speak the truth to each other. But Solomon tempers this with the truth of Ecclesiastes 7.9 where it says, but control your temper for anger labels you as a fool. 
Those two things need to be held in tandem. You've got to start by speaking the truth. And the truth needs to be about what you're feeling and what you're needing as opposed to what you want to say. What do you want to say? You want to tell the other person how, how wrong they are in what they did and how they should feel so bad for not showing up and not doing their part and how wrong they were for speaking so, so sharply or so ugly. You know what I'm saying. We just want to go, you know, you were so out of line when you did this or you didn't do that. And the problem is that will almost never lead to resolution. Because what will happen if I'm at odds with Jim and I begin by saying, Jim, I am so ticked at you because you remember the day when you... That's exactly right. We start doing this and and then we start getting mad. You know, if I'm verbally or even physically shaking my finger at Jim and telling him just what a low-down sorry friend he is and how much this series of things that I'm going to rehearse demonstrate that, he is either going to put up a wall and close his shell or more likely... He's going to bow up and defend himself. Neither one leads to resolution. How differently will it be if I say, Jim, it's got to be obvious to both of us that something's not right in our friendship. I think you probably are feeling the same thing that I'm feeling. And so can I just tell you what I'm feeling? I'm feeling hurt. And I'm feeling disappointed. And I'm feeling like you don't care about our friendship. And these are some of the things that have gone on that have left me feeling this way. And what I really need in this friendship, or if I'm talking to Jackie, what I'm really needing in our marriage is for us to have more time for this or for there to be less of this. If I can focus on what I'm missing, what I'm needing, what I'm wishing that we had, you can build on that, can't you? Because instead of it being, you are such a lousy wife. You are such a horrible friend because you never do this and you always do that. By the way, if you want to make sure you don't get to any resolution, use the words always and never frequently. Because that's pretty much a guarantee you won't resolve anything. If instead you can say, I'm feeling this. Well, first of all, nobody needs to freak out when we've heard, I'm feeling that, because all feelings are legitimate. If you're feeling that, okay, thanks for telling me how you're feeling. Now, if you're telling me what you need, all right, you know, I'm a friend and a spouse who wants to help meet your needs. So if you'll tell me your needs, we can work on trying to get to a place where in this relationship we do that better. I do that better. Do you see how that's... That's getting the issue out there, but in a way where we can constructively work towards something good. And I've just got to be careful to stay focused on I'm I'm telling you what I'm feeling and what I'm needing. And I'm not just bottling it up until finally I go, just, you know, roar at you with how mad I am. No, I just, I need at a moment when I can be calm to tell you what I'm feeling and what I'm needing. You with me on that? All right, three of you are. Now, we'll move on to number two for the rest of you. Focus on understanding the other person more than on being understood. Oh, this is hard. It's so simple and so hard because the first, it almost sounds like it's contradicting the first point. Because the first point is you start by saying, I need to tell you what I'm feeling. I need to tell you what I'm needing. But then the second thing is you've got to be rehearsing all the time in your head. Understand, focus more on understanding than on being understood, which means listen, listen, listen. Don't do all the talking. I may have to initiate this and get the ball rolling by telling you what I'm feeling, but pretty quickly then I've got to shut up and let them respond. We've got to make this a two-way conversation. And here's the amazing thing is when you begin this dialogue and you think as long as you're speaking the same language, you should understand each other pretty well. It would help to understand men and women don't speak the same language. Women speak womenese and men speak menese. It's just, you know, it's, it just is not the same language. 
So try this little exercise. When you start trying to talk about the really awkward things in your relationship, when the other person has voiced what they have to say, if you're like me, I'm like, oh, and Jackie can testify to this. I have to work hard at keeping the brakes on because I'm a loud mouth. I just, I want to immediately respond. I want, I'm a fixer. I want, so as soon as she's telling me what she's feeling and what's wrong before she can finish saying it, I'm wanting to fix it. I'm wanting to jump in there and say something. And the Lord's still working on me. I'm getting better at this. I mean, the Holy Spirit just frequently will say, keep your mouth shut, son. Just keep your mouth shut. Just listen. Just listen. Here's a good exercise. Stay silent until they have stopped talking. Give them a couple of seconds. Jackie's a little tricky because sometimes she'll make these little pauses in there and I'll think she's done and I'll go to jump in and she ain't done. So listen long enough to make sure that they're done. And then, now here's the real test. See if you can say back to them what they said to you. Here's what I want you to do. You say, okay, here's what I hear you saying. And I don't mean say word for word what they said. You repeat it back in your own words what you understood them to say. Sounds like the easiest thing in the world, doesn't it? You're listening to somebody else speak English. Just say back to them what they said to you. Men, you will be amazed how many times your wife is going to shake her head and go, that is not at all what I just told you. And you're like, that's exactly what you just said. You are missing the point. And at that point, instead of bowing up, that's when you say, okay, help me out. I want to hear what you're saying. You'll be surprised if you'll do this exercise how many times you find out the problem isn't that somebody's a bad person. The problem is you're not communicating. You're not communicating about how you're feeling and about what's not getting done and what's being done that's hurtful. And, and when you try and talk about it, one of you is not hearing what the other one's saying. So you do this exercise until you can clearly say, okay, so what I understand you're saying and feeling is this. And they can go right on. That is exactly what I was saying. And don't be discouraged if it takes two or three or four tries to get it right. Focus on understanding. James said, you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And as I've said here in your notes, most conflicts begin to be resolved just when both parties feel heard. If you just get to the place that you both know that you've truly heard and understood what the other one is feeling, you're more than halfway to the finish line. Just getting to the point of of effectively communicating. So repeat back to the other person what you hear them saying. Number three. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, there are some people in the room, some people watching and listening online. The Lord has you here today because you need number three. If you are in a relationship where, if we just had testimony time and your honest testimony was, when we try and deal with the hard stuff, it always gets out of control. I would hate to admit it in church, but the truth is we just start yelling or we start using ugly language or we start name calling. We don't sound anything like the Christians we look like on Sunday morning. I'm not asking for a show of hands. I do not want to see your hands. But if we had to say how many of you, your, your disagreements turn into ugly fights, there's a whole bunch of folks in the room who would have to say it's happened way more times than I'd ever want to admit to. Okay, if that's you, and if you are in a relationship that you fear even having to deal with the really hard stuff because of how quickly it goes to a bad place, if you'll do what we're fixing to talk about for a minute with number three here, it will, it will head nearly all of that off. And the principle is simply this. Outside of a time of conflict, in a calm moment, have a conversation where you set up clear boundaries 
to create safe space for talking through the hard stuff. At our house, one of the not-so-spiritual things that we enjoy is we all like UFC. I, I know it's barbaric and it's people beating each other's brains out, but it's still pretty entertaining, isn't it? But it's interesting, whether it's boxing or martial arts or UFC or whatever, that they always set aside kind of the, relatively speaking, the safe place to do it. They do it in an elevated ring where the ground is not cement. It's got a little give to it. And, you know, like for boxing or whatever, the, the ropes have some give to them. And the, and the uh, turnbuckle, you know, the posts in the corners, they've got padding on them. And you don't fight just all over the room. You, you do your conflict in the ring. And if you're boxing, you don't fight with your fists. You put on big padded gloves. Now, you can still get hurt in the ring, and people do from time to time. But all of these things are put in place so that in the midst of the conflict, you can do the conflict without anybody getting killed, without anybody being permanently damaged. And when it comes to conflict, you need to set some boundaries so that it's very clear in advance. Every time we've got to deal with a hard thing, we've got some specific things in place. Padded gloves and and headgear and the things that will make sure that we're not going to do permanent damage to each other. So these five things are the padding. The boundaries that will keep us safe. And these need to be agreed on in a calm moment that we will never, ever again have a disagreement where we violate these five boundaries. We agree that if either of us violates these five boundaries, the conversation is over until this boundary is respected again. We'll just we'll call time out of the conversation for two minutes or five minutes or an hour or a day, whatever it takes, until we can deal with this conflict with these boundaries in place. Here are the five boundaries. Number one, no shouting. You never get closer to resolving a conflict by shouting. Paul said in Ephesians 4.31, all shouting and slander must be removed from you. Now, it's, it's going to start, if that's been a pattern, and you talk about this and we're going to get rid of it, I will tell you, there's going to be a conflict where somebody starts to get loud again. And if it's your partner, if it's the other person that starts to get loud after you've agreed, you're not going to shout at one another. The first thing you do in response to that is when they go high, you go low. We've talked about this before. I don't mean go low like with a dirty punch. I mean, you know, go, you, go, you go low with your voice. When you hear them, they're starting to get hot and bothered. And they're starting to get loud. You cut your volume by 50% without saying anything to go, see there, you're doing what you always do. You're just being a hothead. You're ignoring our boundaries. You don't say that. That doesn't help you at all. They start getting loud. You get really quiet. You, you emphasize the fact that we're not going to let this get loud. I'm going to go so low you're going to have to listen hard to what I'm saying. And without having to go, see how loud you're being? It's drawing attention to the fact that we agreed we're going to keep this thing down here while we talk about it. And if they just insist, well, I don't care, I'm a hothead, you made me mad, so I'm going to be loud, then it's okay to call time out. We've said what the boundaries are for our conflicts. And as much as I'd love to straighten you out right now and rip you a new one, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to call time out. We're going to, first of all, we're going to take five. And if in five minutes you've cooled off enough that we can, can do this conflict within our boundaries, then we'll talk through it. But as long as either of us is shouting, we're not going to continue this conversation. We have to take five minutes or take an hour. We'll do that. No shouting. Number two, no physical harm or intimidation. It is never okay in either direction. In a conflict, men... There is never a situation that warrants us using our physical size and strength 
to enforce our will or to intimidate our mates, our girlfriends, friends, whomever. So we don't grab them. We don't hold them against the wall. We don't tower over them. All of that is out of bounds. And ladies, by virtue of the fact that that your man is bigger and stronger than you and you feel like, well, see, I couldn't really hurt them anyway, so it's okay for me to slap or hit or whatever. No, it's not. It is never okay to get physical in a conflict. We agreed on that? So that's, that's off the table. Number three, no cursing or name-calling. Verse 29, Paul says, no foul language is to come from your mouth. I'm just going to call a spade a spade. I am sick of listening to people who openly profess their faith in Christ and come to church on a regular basis and who excuse a filthy mouth by just saying, well, that's just who I am and I'm just going to be real. Get over yourself. There is no place for the people of God to talk trash like we were pagans. The word is very clear on this. No foul language is to come from your mouth. And if we've been excusing that, we need to call it what it is. Confess it to God and decide with the Lord's help we're going to change this. There is no place for us in a conflict to be spewing a potty mouth at one another. Whether it's foul language or name calling. I mean, Jesus was spot on with this. He's talking about how in conflict, if you you use names for each other, he said, if they say to their brother or sister, you idiot, they'll be in danger of being condemned by the governing council. But if they say, you fool, you'll be in the danger of fiery hell. He's just driving home the point. Names and and these kinds of words have real power to do damage and there's no room for this in your relationships. So it has to go. It's out of bounds. Number four, no threats. And I'm not talking so much about threats of physical harm because I don't think that's usually where we go in conversations. But I tell you, in marriages and in in, uh, love relationships, you know what the threats are. It's threats of divorce. It's, it's where you start bringing up, well, maybe we just need to go our own separate ways. Maybe we need some time apart. Or here's another thinly veiled threat. Well, maybe it was a mistake that we ever got married in the first place. That's a threat. It's just a thinly veiled threat. It, it's, the, it's a weapon of mass destruction with your words saying, I hate this relationship so much. You know, I hate being with you so much. I'll just say, well, maybe we shouldn't have ever even got together in the first place, which implies... Well, the obvious solution then would be we need to go our separate ways. But I'm not going to say that out loud. I'm just going to plant the seed. Threats are off limits in a conflict. We do not threaten the people that we love. And then fifth and finally, if you're serious about setting healthy boundaries for your conflict, no sarcasm. You don't get to have a smart mouth. Now, some of you are thinking, well, what in the world are we going to talk about when we have a conflict if we get rid of all that? We can't shout, we can't cuss, we can't call names, and we can't be sarcastic. She's used up all my material. (laughs) Well, what we're left with then is adults working through a conflict in a constructive way. Not sarcastic, not calling names. Solomon said in Proverbs 15.1, A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Do you want to just give room to vent tempers, or do you want to work toward resolution? Now, here's the kicker. You've got you to spell these five out, and you've got to do it in a calm moment. Some of you, you're seated next to the person that you need to have a conversation with about this, 
And one of the healthiest things that you could do this Mother's Day is just at a nice time this afternoon when you're not in the middle of a conflict to say, you know what, I love you, I I love doing life with you, and I hate the moments that we've ever had where we say really hurtful things that we regret to each other. So let's do what we can right now to do what the pastor talked about, to safeguard our relationship. And can we just agree on those five boundaries that we will never let ourselves do these again? And, and on the moments when we slip up and we let one of those things come in, can we just agree that we love each other enough that we'll call time out when that happens? When somebody drops the F-bomb, when somebody starts to get loud, when somebody calls a name, that we just go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. We agreed we love each other too much to... To go there, so we'll take a time out if we need to here. Would you agree that that would help a great deal to just agree on those five and live by it? Somebody say amen. amen. All right, let's move on. We're almost done. Number four, be wise in choosing how much to address and when to address it. Proverbs twelve sixteen says, when a fool is annoyed, he quickly lets it be known. Smart people will ignore an insult. See, this reference is the person who wants to take out every piece of trash every time it comes up. There are, especially if you're in a marriage, and especially if you're in the first few years of a marriage, you're going to find a thousand things in a week that just, just, it's like a little pebble in your shoe. It just kind of rubs you the wrong way. If you voice all those, you're going to have a miserable marriage. It is a smart person who will ignore the little irritations. Proverbs 11 says, fools show all their anger, but the wise hold it back. That doesn't mean you become a stuffer. It means that you're wise enough to know, hey, there's five different ways to take out the trash. Only one of them is to confront the person who irritated me. The truth of the matter is some of the pebbles in your shoe, figuratively speaking, were put there by God to, to work on your rough edges. They needed to be there. It's not that your mate needs to change. It's that your short temper, your short fuse, your you know, neediness, it's all about me, needs to be addressed. And God's creating some rub in your life. So you don't vent all of that stuff. You decide how often do you need to address something. Let me tell you, once a day is way too often. A couple of times a week is plenty frequent. Because for everything negative that you ever want to address, you better be giving at least ten positives to the person that you love as you seek to work stuff out. So decide, just be discerning about how much and when to address it. And the when, the easiest thing I can tell you, and it, you'll remember it forever because it's so simple, the easiest thing to help define when is a good time to, to deal with the hard stuff is remember the old uh, acronym HALT, H-A-L-T. These, these four letters represent four things that are a warning sign that it might not be a great time to talk about this. H-A-L-T. If you're overly hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, that's a warning sign. This may not be a great time to talk. If you're just starving... You'll have a shorter fuse. If you are just ticked off, you probably need to go for a walk or a drive or something until you get the anger under control. Maybe that you've got to sleep until you can, can calm down enough to talk. Hungry, angry, lonely. When we're just feeling incredibly lonely, that's a hard time to have a really hard, lengthy conversation. And the last one, just tired. If you're just too exhausted. That, I mean, a, a real problem for married couples is so many times... Especially when you're both working and when you're raising kids and you're trying to have healthy boundaries and we don't fight in front of the kids and all that stuff. And so you wind up where you, you've carried frustration through the day or through the evening and you never really had time to deal with it until, thank goodness the kids are finally in bed. We're exhausted. We just got enough energy to fall into bed ourselves. And now we're mad at each other. and We're not supposed to be, go to bed mad. So now let's talk about it. 
And you're in the worst frame of mind that you could be to talk about it there. But somebody told us way back up the line, you should never go to bed angry. I'll tell you, lots of years of experience have taught me this. The bedroom is not a great place to work out most of your conflicts. Sometimes you'll, you'll sort of have to. But on the hardest ones, when that's the only time that seems to be left for you to talk about it, sometimes you need to have a real short conversation that just acknowledges, I know we're... We both can tell our hearts aren't in a good place. We're both frustrated, agitated, or whatever. You know, you may start to talk about it, and you realize, ooh, this is going to go to a bad place really quickly. And you just call time out and say, hey, I know we're tired, and I know we're both frustrated. Can we just pause right here and just say, we're not happy with each other right now, but we do love each other. And after we've gotten a night's rest, can we agree we absolutely are committed that we will make a time tomorrow that we'll sit down and talk about this, or this weekend, or whatever. And it's amazing how much even that just sort of lets some of the air out of the balloon. We acknowledge that we're frustrated, and as much as one of you wants to just let the other one have it, it's okay. We'll talk about it tomorrow, we'll get some good rest, and we'll probably both have clearer heads. So be thoughtful about the timing. Number five, and I'll tell you, I know I said number three is important, but if there's one thing that you remember from today, ten years from now, I want you to remember number five for the rest of your life. Value getting right over being right. Everybody say it with me. Value getting right over being right. What's the difference between getting right and being right? Well, getting right is all about restoring the relationship. It's all about being good again with your sibling, with your parent, with your spouse, your boyfriend or girlfriend. It's all about getting back to a place where you don't feel weird around each other. That's... That's getting right. Being right is all about, I've got to show you how wrong you were. I've got to get you to acknowledge that you were the one in the wrong and I am right. And those are at cross purposes. And the truth of the matter is, there are a bunch of us who enjoy being right more than breathing air. You know that's right. There are some of us who just, it is in our DNA. I know I'm right. I need you to see that I'm right. I need you to say that I'm right. And so we will use every trick in the book to try and make them understand that they are wrong and we are right. And you know what the truth is? There are a bunch of times where in your biggest conflict, you're both right and you're both wrong. And you can talk about it until midnight and you will never see it the same, mostly because you're a man and a woman trying to talk through it. And you'll never see it the same. And the best thing you can say in some of those situations is, I know we just don't see this eye to eye, but I care more about getting right with you than I do about proving to you that I'm right. I can't tell you how many times Jackie has said that to me. I love it when she does that. Not because it somehow makes me right, but I feel so valued when she'll do that. I mean... I'm just going to be honest with you. When God put the two of us together, he put two alpha dogs together. I mean, we we didn't, I don't think I fully grasped this when we were dating. I mean, we both absolutely are alphas. You know what I mean when I say that? Alphas expect to be in charge. I mean, seriously, I've been an alpha all my life. When I was five years old on the playground, kids followed me. And it wasn't because I was good looking. I wasn't. I just, But I just, that was just me. I expected kids to follow me. I expected people to do what I said. I'm not a control freak, but some of you can relate. You just know what I'm talking about. You just just have an alpha personality. You get in a relationship. You get in a marriage. You expect to be the lead dog. We both spent our entire lives apparently being lead dogs. Two lead dogs got married three and a half years ago. Holy mackerel. I had never been with another lead dog before in a close relationship. It scared me to death. 
I think it scared her. I know it scared her to death. We thought we were going to kill each other. I mean, I'm not a fighter, not relationally, and she's not a fighter. And suddenly, for about six or eight months, I thought we were going to kill one another. Because two alphas were in the same house, and it wasn't that we were being violent or anything, but we were just like, we didn't know how to work through any conflict, because we both expected to be the lead dog. And a big part of what helped to change those dynamics was both of us learning to say to each other, Oh, as much as I want to show you you're wrong and I'm right. I would rather get right with each other than be right. And now in our, I mean, until I die, I know I'll be an alpha, and she will too. But with each other, we don't have to be the alpha dog anymore. Because we both have come to a place of realizing we'd rather be right with each other. It's liberating. Till you die, remember a value, getting right over being right. Some practical instructions that go with this. Paul said, stop being angry before the end of the day. One of the easiest ways to do that when you're just like, we just cannot seem to get this worked out. Okay, we're probably not going to get it worked out. Let's just decide we want to be right with each other. Proverbs 19.11 says, if you're sensible, you'll control your temper. When someone wrongs you, it's a great virtue to ignore it. That's what you have to do and just value getting right. And the, the final one is just a little practical instruction. Proverbs twenty one fourteen. If someone's angry with you, a gift given secretly will calm him down. You don't feel like serving the other person when they've made you angry or hurt. But to give them a gift, to serve them in some way, is, is a tangible way of saying, I would just rather be right with you than to prove my point with you. An act of service, a gift of love will do that. Sixth and final thing we'll say is simply this. Always be willing to ask for and to offer forgiveness. In the last verse we read, Ephesians 4.32, Paul said, Be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. When you have forgiven your mate more than Jesus has forgiven you, then you can think about holding a grudge, but until then, we've got no ground to stand on. And Paul's just reminding us of this. You, you just be as willing to forgive as you've been forgiven. It, isn't it amazing how much that's an equalizer? When you're like, I'm, I'm just so sick of them doing this again and again. No matter how many times I say it, they never do it or they always do it. In your mind, you're rehearsing this and, and your heart's going. And they don't deserve to be forgiven because I brought it up again and again and they still screw up. If we'll just take a step back and go, hmm, I wonder how many times Jesus was tempted to feel this way about me. How many times has Jesus forgiven me for the same thing again and again and again and I swore I'd never do it again and I've gone back to it. And the scripture says that's how we forgive each other. Now forgiveness doesn't mean that you can erase your memory. Don't you wish that you could press a button and do that? Forgiveness would be easier if we could do that. But forgiveness means this. I'll never bring it up again as long as you don't keep repeating it. I won't bring it up, and I won't bring up this instance even if you do repeat the behavior. I won't bring it up again and I won't seek to punish you because of it. Forgiveness means I throw away the right to try and punish you in any shape or form because of this offense. I'm letting it go. And you can't wait until the other person deserves to be forgiven before you forgive. Because if Jesus waited until we deserve to be forgiven, we'd all go to hell. Literally. You give it when it's not deserved. Be free in offering it. Be free in asking for it. 
the final note there is if we wait for forgiveness to be deserved before we offer it, we will stay at odds with one another forever. So, back to the original question. Who in your life is causing the rub? In what relationship do you need to put these things into practice? Are you carrying around some emotional trash that needs to be carried out? Would you like to be free of that? Because this will work for everybody. What does the beginning point need to be? Are you strung out and exhausted right now and need to rest? Do you need to coach Excuse me. <clears throat> coach yourself up in terms of facts over feelings? Do you need to just go to God with this? Do you need to go find somebody to talk to? Do you need to go talk to that person? Would you join me as we go to the Lord in prayer right now? Father, I pray that you would give us grace to put into practice the things that we have looked at in your word today. And I pray that you would do a work of healing. Lord, that you would stir in us a deep love for one another that would enable us to give grace and forgiveness where it's needed and to ask for forgiveness. I pray that you'd bring real peace in marriages and in hearts and lives that you would restore us. If you just today, you're carrying hurt in your heart, whether it's because of a conflict or, or a loss or a disappointment in life, would you just pray for the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom as to which of these things you need to do that would help you to just release this stuff and to experience joy again. Maybe it's somebody you need to talk to. Ask him to just point you towards somebody to put a name or a face in your heart. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to move forward, to let go of hurts and to find real healing. And we pray that today over everyone here. Do a fresh work of healing and restoration among us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi. Thanks so much for taking time to tune in and listen to the message today through Freedom Online. Uh, we would love to, the opportunity to meet you personally anytime that you're in our area. But if today you heard something that really connected or that maybe you've got questions about, you'd like to talk with somebody or have someone pray with you, we'd love to hear back from you. You can reach us in a couple of different ways. You'll find on the website a contacts link. You can contact me or any member of our leadership directly. Or you can call us at the number that you see on the website or at the bottom of the screen now. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope that you have a great week.